This is the 12 Songs of Christmas. I'm Alex Rawls, and this is my podcast about Christmas music. I could bluff and say this is my 99th episode, and if you didn't go and check, you wouldn't know. But, straight up, this is my 100th episode, and it actually came a week earlier than I thought it did. I had a plan for a 100th episode, and I'm still going to do it, but I'm going to do it as a way to start the next 100. So, I'm going to take a week off next week because I'm going to need time to pull together a look back at the best of the first 100 episodes. A number of you have checked in somewhere in the last year or two, and there's a good chance there's only a handful of you who have heard every episode. So, I want to go back in and draw your attention to some of the cool moments from the the whole run. Each week when I post on Facebook that there's a new episode up, I always talk about how it's how it's one I really enjoyed because there really was something about it I really enjoyed. I can count on one hand the number of episodes I thought clanked, and because I appreciate everybody who comes on and talks to me, I don't want to hang anybody out to dry. Still, there have been a lot of cool moments, and almost every episode has something that makes me convinced that this is a really good idea. So, I'll be back in two weeks with that. And at that time, you can kind of hear, hopefully, stuff you haven't heard, as well as favorite moments you have. And you can kind of get a picture here for what we've been doing and, you know, kind of what I see in the project. But today, I'm talking to jazz vocalist Meryl Zimmerman. I've known Meryl since she taught a music together class that my daughter attended. And we both teach at Loyola University here in New Orleans. Late this past holiday season, Merrill released A Very Merrill Christmas. Late enough that I was already booked through Christmas, but there's a lot in her album and the experience that I wanted to talk about. She has a version of What Are You Doing New Year's Eve that I liked so much, I considered trying to make an episode around versions of that song before New Year's Eve. And her cover choices are sufficiently unconventional to make me want to talk more about them. She also, like many people I've interviewed in the last two years, has a COVID connection to her story. And like a few I've talked to, she's Jewish and has a different perspective on the holiday and its music because of that. We'll get to Meryl in just a moment. But first, I want to draw your attention to a cool website. Attention Kmart shoppers. Kmart and Kresge were budget department stores. And at the start, Kmart might still exist. It might be a present tense budget department store. And at the site, someone has digitized and posted recordings of the vinyl albums sent to stores to play as background music from the 60s into the 80s. In the 80s, they were actually cassettes. It also has some digitized training films that date back to the 40s. I'm fascinated by the idea that background music used to be sent out as vinyl records. Somehow, I don't know, I always thought there was some kind of at least reel-to-reel recording. Anyway, my interest in the site, naturally, is the albums of Christmas music, which present it as background music for shopping. I hope to get the person responsible for the archive on the show this year, but these collections present music that previous generations were nostalgic for. Versions with strings to give them a hint of class a little swing to add a hint of modernity. 
and a pop sensibility to make shopping fun. By listening to them, you can work backwards and see shopping psychology at work. You can also download these files, and I've grabbed a few because they're such great time capsules. Here's part of the Kresge background music, disc number 294. It doesn't have a year on it, unfortunately, but judging by the sound of it, it's mid-60s. We'll be back on the other side with Meryl Zimmerman. To start, uh, you have you released uh, in beginning of December. You released a very Merrill Christmas. Is that right? Um, I think it technically came out at the end of November, but around then, yeah. Okay, how'd that come about? How did that come about? That it was released when it was released, or that it was released at all? It released at all. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um. Well. Um, so in December, 2020, um, I did a porch concert on my porch with, um, Ed Wise on bass and Eric Merchant on guitar. And we did uh, Christmas music for the neighborhood. I live in Algiers Point and, um, I love Christmas music and I was just hungry for a gig and to sing because it was more of the height of the pandemic and um, just thought it would be a fun thing to do. And I remember it was like freezing that night, like, you know, New Orleans freezing. freezing, So probably in in the high 40s or something. (laughs) And I was just shocked by how many people came out and were camped out on the neutral ground outside of the house and with chairs and blankets and um, just the neighborhood really came out and supported, which was awesome. And I just enjoyed it so much. I loved uh, getting to sing that music and it ended. And then I was thinking like, it would be such a shame to have to wait a whole year to do that again. So that was kind of the first seed planted of, oh, maybe we can record an album. So I don't have to wait a whole year to do Christmas music again. So how did it get from that, from that concert to actually, actually in the studio and doing it? Well, let's see. So that concert happened and I had this idea, maybe we could record an album and, uh, Um, Ed, I was talking to Ed about it and he said he would love to co-produce it. Um, so that was awesome. And just knowing I would have that, that help, um, made it, uh, more likely that it would be something I would want to do. So, um, Ed and I talked about it and hashed out ideas and we made this, uh, well, he made this spreadsheet like a Google spreadsheet. And we just started like throwing ideas of songs on there. Some of the stuff we did at the concert 
some other ideas and um, we involved Eric as well. And um, we whittled it down and came up with the set list and um, booked some dates with um, Mike Harvey at NOLA Recording Studios and kind of just went from there. Cool. This is your, is your second album, right? This is my second album, yes. Did you think about what it would, about how it would impact, you, you, know, through, you, you know, your audience or your perception in the marketplace if your second record was a Christmas record? <laughs> um, I guess I feel like I'm so far from fame or notoriety <laughs> it, it didn't even it didn't even kind of cross my mind to think of it that way it was really just I want to do this for me and hopefully people will enjoy it um I didn't really think about like is that kind of weird that sure. that's my second album I just uh wanted to do it so I did it sure now I think I mean that was kind of where I what I expected and I think that's probably a piece of of the music the musician's life that I think in general people don't recognize and certainly a part of the musician's life in New Orleans that people don't recognize mm. that how many people are just, this, you know, to a great degree, when music is their art, but it's also to a great degree their job. And mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you're going to go and make something that makes you happy, whether it necessarily is the thing that if you were mapping a career, you wouldn't necessarily make that choice at this point. Does that make sense? It does. It does. Um, yeah. I mean, like I said, primarily I just wanted to do it. So I did it. Although it did definitely cross my mind that um, it would be kind of cool to have this album that would be newly relevant every year forever. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so, so that did kind of cross my mind, um, that, you know, even if it takes maybe a, a few Christmas seasons that there's a shot, I'll recoup my investment eventually. Right. <laughs> there will always be, always be every year, a new opportunity to, um, publicize it and, and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, and that's again, a part of the, a part of the musician story that I think people often miss. I remember, I've talked to musicians who play the spotted cat on Frenchman street mm -hmm. and a number of them have said that on, on an album they put out, there are these five or six songs that they really, really wanted to do, but they had so many requests for these very, very standard covers that if those weren't there, nobody was going to hear the other songs they loved in that that for anyone who's in New Orleans, you have heard plenty of versions of Do You Know What It Means to Miss New Orleans? Sure. But for the tourist from Des Moines who hears you sing it for the first time, loves your version, that's the one they want to take home. Mm -hmm. And so you're going to sell your version, even if you're aware there are way too many versions of this song already in the galaxy. Um, and that right, kind of right. really basic sort of math and that kind of basic, those kind of equations are very much a part of a musician's life in New Orleans, I would assume. Sure. Yeah. There are certain songs that 
like it's just good to have them in your back pocket and you will probably pull them out when people ask for it and then you'll make the people happy and they'll throw money in the tip jar and that's part of it yeah yeah so and christmas music fills that same function that i True. did as you chose this i mean your 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 song list has a lot of variation in it were there songs you picked because these are popular songs that people are going to be excited to hear? Um, I mostly, again, I, I, I feel like I'm, I've just been, I'm realizing how selfish I was with this project. <laughs> Self-indulgent. <laughs> I picked songs I wanted to record. Um, I, I did think of the ultimate um, list of, of tunes that we recorded as, as trying to make a mix of songs that were well-known, um, but approaching them from what I hoped would be a new and interesting angle, um, mixed with songs that I did pretty similar to the recordings I heard of them, but aren't as well-known. Right. So, so there's definitely songs on there that, you know, if you're skimming, the back of the CD and you see, you know, have yourself a merry little Christmas or deck the halls, you know, those will pop out. Yes. Sure. Yeah. You so, know, yeah, very self-indulgent project. Oh, I don't think so at all. <laughs> um, but you know, but I think you touch on something I think is that people often overlook is how much people like songs they sing. They can sing. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and there are people out there like me who want to hear the most, hear you find your own private, personal expression of Christmasness or whatever. But there are a lot more people like my wife who really want to hear the songs they can sing along to. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I know they outnumber me. And so, right. so picking the songs that people know, you know, it's both, if, if, as long as you like the song or find a version of the, that you could do, right. that makes a lot of sense. Although and, I will say like, there's, for me, there's a difference between songs people know and songs people can sing along to, <laughs> because <laughs> especially on my album, you know, deck the halls, but I don't know how many people can like instantly sing along to the version that I did. Because <laughs> it's I was, weird. To, I was just about to ask about it. Tell me about <laughs> your version because I, I really like your what you did with deck the halls. Tell us about it. So so yeah, it's in um, it's in seven eight time, and um, Ed Wise arranged that as he did most of the tunes on the record, um, in addition to a couple that Eric Merchant arranged. Um, but yeah, that was um, an idea he had early on. Actually, I'm pretty sure that was something that he came up with when we were brainstorming songs to do for the Porch concert in 2020. He had this idea of Deck the Halls in 7-8. And basically, he didn't get to it in time. And it was just too complicated an idea to throw together in time for the Porch concert. Um, but then when we were kind of brainstorming again for the album, I was like, hey, you mentioned you had this idea. I am intrigued by it. I would love for you to see it through uh, and see what that sounds like. Right. Because it's 
different and interesting. hard for you to sing sing it in seven eight and and to take again and especially to take a song that you know and have heard as many times as deck the halls and to adjust the phrasing to a different time signature yes (laughs) (laughs) yes it was hard alex um yes i was counting one two three four five six seven one two yes that yes it was hard um but that's part of why it was fun for me it was a challenge um, and I like challenges. I like musical challenges. Um, but also I had the benefit of growing up Jewish and not being inundated by this music. Yeah. So as many times as I've heard Deck the Halls, um, it's not something that like at age 38 I'm sick of. And I haven't sung it a whole bunch myself Right. Um, in reality. So it's not like I really had to work that hard to extract a certain version out of my brain and replace it with this other version. Um, because yeah, it's not a real part of my, a yeah. big part of my history of growing up in music and all of that. Right. How does, how did that affect your relationship to this, to the music and the album being Jewish? I think it gives me a certain level of, uh, feeling like I can be free to interpret things my own way on a level that maybe if I, you know, grew up knowing that my mom has like this beloved version of this song and it would kind of break her heart if I messed with it, you know, I don't have that. Yeah. Um, so I don't feel as like ethically tied to doing any particular Christmas song in a certain way. Um, and also, like I said, I, you know, I, I not only did I grow up Jewish, but I grew up going to a Jewish day school. Um, like most of my friends as a kid were Jewish, like went to synagogue most weeks. It wasn't until high school that I went to public school and like started broadening my social circle and like befriending people who weren't Jewish or even befriending Jews who weren't as observant as I was, um, even in high school, even amongst all the Jews at my uh, high school on Long Island, like I was like the one that like celebrated all the holidays and like <laughs> didn't come to school for the minor Jewish holidays and all of that. So, um, so yeah, so I uh, lost my train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> Jewish Christmas. Yes. So um, I, yeah, it wasn't, it I didn't even know most of these songs until high school. Um, I, I got to high school and I joined choir and I joined the vocal jazz ensemble and the holidays came around and we had to perform Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and Jingle Bells and all this stuff. And all my friends thought I was from another planet because I didn't know the words. Wow. Like I was 
familiar with them, hearing them on the radio and in malls and stuff, but I had never sung them. Right. Um, so this stuff is like relatively still new to me compared to most other people. So I'm not, I'm not married to particular versions in the same way. I'm not sick of it in the same way that maybe if I, you know, if this music was more of a part of my life since childhood, it would, would have been. Right. That raises it to me an interesting question. When you're singing these songs then, I've had people tell me that to be a good singer, you have to really connect to the words, which I'm not sure I've ever, I'm not sure I always buy. Mm -hmm. And so are you connecting to these words? You know, can you connect to the words? Are you connecting to these songs as I, as musical? I mean, are you, are you connecting to these songs as music? Now I'm thinking through the different songs on the album. I think it depends on the tune. Um, ideally, and this is something I, you know, I tell my, my voice students that I teach, um, that it is very important. I do believe to connect to the story that you're telling, um, especially as a, as a jazz singer. Um, but for sure, there are certain songs that I love because of the melody or the chord changes, or just like the vibe that's being created by the other musicians playing, and sometimes it's, it's, you know, the primary hook for me is the lyrics and it kind of depends. Um, like with, um, let's see, Blue Xmas, I had a lot of fun with the lyrics of that one. And I, and I dug in, I think on a more theatrical level <laughs> in my rendition of that one, because I thought the lyrics were so interesting and different. Um, and then like even have yourself a merry little Christmas. I don't connect to it in like, uh, I love, I don't know. I, I don't connect to it in terms of having like beautiful, heartwarming Christmas memories kind of a thing. But I think that song just inherently has this like melancholy longing, um, kind of a feel that, um, no, anybody can relate to that. Right. Um, you know, whether it's like a particularly Christmas kind of a feeling or just, um, life stuff. Right. So, so yeah, I do try to connect to the lyrics when I can, but it's definitely, definitely not the only thing that hooks me, sure. connects me. That makes sense. So yours is one of the few covers. It may be the only cover. I'm aware of, of Blue Xmas, the Miles Davis track with the Bob DeRoe vocal. Are, are mm -hmm. you, are you, do you know of others or are, as far as you know, are you the first to cover it? I am not the first to cover it. Um, although it was hard for me to find other versions because I, I was digging around. Like for all of these, everything on the record, I, I made a point of trying to check out other people's versions just to get inspiration and ideas. And especially this one, cause it's very hard. It's another just tricky tune to learn and sing. Um, so I was hoping to find other versions just to help it get in my brain more. And I found, I think one other version from a singer and now I feel bad. I don't remember the name, um, but it was someone I hadn't heard of before. And I'm pretty sure it was somebody who, was based in another country. It wasn't an American singer. And, um, 
but yeah, I know I'm not, maybe I'm the third cover in that case, (laughs) (laughs) but there aren't a whole lot out there. That's for sure. that one yours because Bob DeRoe's performance is so specific but it also seems like there's not a lot of places to go that he wasn't I think like I mentioned I think I I went I went deeper into the like over the top theatricality and silliness of it right I tried to get silly I think Bob DeRoe's performance is very kind of sardonic and like blasé and just kind of lets the song speak for itself. And I had I had fun being a little goofier and more over the top yeah. of my delivery. Yeah. You know, the thing is, I think as interesting as his version is, and I really quite like it, at the same time, it's so a part of a moment in time that passed where mm-hmm. you had the influence of the beats and mm-hmm. the New York and, you know, and Ginsburg and the poetry of it. Mm-hmm. But then attaching that to uh, to jazz, which was something that certainly that Ker- that Kerouac and Ginsburg were interested in. Yeah. But there's a whole level of seriousness in there in that, even as he's being sardonic, and even as he's being witty, it's not necessarily a funny witty. Uh, it all there's an under there's an underlying seriousness to all of it. Mm-hmm. that obviously you take in a different direction. Yeah. And and also it's interesting to think about, but maybe part of my being a Jew influenced my take as well, because I feel like it's not really my place to seriously critique um, or badmouth Christmas because it's not my holiday. So... Mm-hmm. So yeah, maybe on some level that was why I took a sillier approach cuz like yeah, I mean who am, who am I? Who That's am right. I to criticize? <laughs> Somebody else's. I don't want to yuck somebody's yum. Right, yeah. So <laughs> oh, That's interesting. That's a good thought. I hadn't thought about that. Um a very very different but also very you know, in its own way very serious cover uh is uh you do Joni Mitchell's River. Mm-hmm. Which which I have to admit I even go back and forth on whether I even think that's a Christmas song or not. Um, Fair. So <laughs> tell me about, about choosing that and how you decided to approach it. So that one, 
um, came from Eric Merchant, um, who played guitar on the album. He he actually he arranged two songs on the album. He arranged uh, Blue Xmas and River. And he um, is a big old jazz nerd. Um, but he really has a connection with um, Joni Mitchell uh, Blue album. Um, that's the album it is, right? Yeah. Yes. So, um, yeah. So that was his idea to bring that one to the table. Um, and cause he has a real connection with that. Like he grew up with that album. Um, and you know what? She says the word Christmas in it. So as far as I'm concerned, it's fair game. Yep. <laughs> um, but I also really like the idea of, of throwing something that stylistically was just a, a, a nice contrast to the other stuff on there. Um, because it's not such an overtly Christmassy song. Right. So, so yeah, I liked stylistically that it was different. It is a beautiful touching song. Um, man, talk about lyrics. Yeah. Like, yeah, like heart wrenching and like really enjoyed singing it and loved Eric's arrangement. So, so yeah, I got to give credit to Eric for that one. Yeah. say and I, I don't know why this throws me but having I've lived in the north but I guess never far enough north to where whole rivers froze that like I want to find a river I could skate away on mm. it, it, for some reason that was always an, an, an image that I couldn't quite get around um <clears throat> Like in terms of like a Christmas image or just image image, image image. I mean, or it's, you know, uh, it just seems like such an odd way to want to escape. Um, it, (laughs) it, it, anyway, I I don't know why it just, for me, that was always a little perplexing. So now I'm thinking like, what's the new Orleans equivalent? Like if you wanted to just escape from your problems and get away, grab a P road. (laughs) The, uh, no, anyway, and, and I mean, I lived in southern Ontario, which would often, we get a decent freeze. And I mean, skating on open bodies of water, you know, done that. Uh-huh. Um, but the idea of a whole river freezing, I hadn't seen that. Um, Good point. Good point. Yeah. Like a lake yeah. is one thing, but a river, it's like flowing. Yeah, it would have to be pretty cold. Yeah. So Good point. Yeah. So anyway, I about that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to, we'll have to, we'll have to do an interview with Joni, I guess. Tighten her, yeah, tighten her up on that. Or where were you, <laughs> where you could find whole rivers actually freezing? Yeah. So the, uh, 
don't want to just go through the, you know, this song, that song. But I, to, I, want, I do want to do two more here. Uh, mm-hmm. That you go to the New Orleans Christmas canon uh, with Louis Armstrong and is that you, Santa Claus? Mm-hmm. T- tell me about why you chose that one. I chose that one because as much as I love Christmas, I really, really love Halloween. I love things that are a little spooky. So I liked that it had a bit of a spooky, spooky, creepy aspect to it. Um, Yeah, it's just it's a fun song. And again, it's like there aren't really a lot of Christmas songs out there where like Santa's the boogeyman or something. Right. You're, you're, you're not quite sure who's knocking on the door and you hope it's Santa Claus and that Santa Claus is going to be nice and give you a present and not be like a serial killer or something. Yeah. So uh, uh, uh. I'm just amused yeah. that that was like the concept that informed this song. That's a Christmas song. Yeah. Um, and um, I, I, I love Louis Armstrong's version. Um, I would say I was more influenced for the way I did it by um, Harry Connick Jr.'s version, which is a bit more sparse and spooky and kind of leans into that a bit more. Um, But that's one of the ones that we did at the porch concert, um, the fateful porch concert. And I would say probably that was the one I had the most fun singing that night. I'd imagine. Um, So I knew that that was going to end up on the album. funny as long as i've known that song i never thought about it in terms of halloween until during christmas season this year somebody sent me a link to the buster poindexter video of his version Hmm. and he does it very much as like christmas in a haunted house with uh so it was like oh yeah that is a sort of a halloween song isn't it and so and I, and I, and, and as you said it, like, well, yeah, of course that's obvious, but somehow I was like so plugged in on Christmas that the whole boogeyman element somehow slipped by me. So. Yeah. And, and Louis, Louis Armstrong's version, like it's, it's kind of more fun. Like it's like a faster tempo and, and the bands there's energy to it. So, so yeah, if you're not paying too much attention, it could kind of blend in. Right. But, um, but yeah, no, I need to check that out. I haven't, yeah. I haven't heard Buster Poindexter's version. So. The uh, it's fine. I I, I like <laughs> it, but the other versions you ref, you referred to are better ones. Um, okay. I, I I love David Johansson and pretty much everything he's involved with, and mm-hmm. uh, I think I've just been sort of thinking about like him as sort of one of the great sort of New York entertainers of the early seventies uh, and who had more going on than I think people gave him credit for as uh, in the New York Dolls era, but that's not mm-hmm. this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's now, another podcast. Yep. <laughs> I, I say, I, other, song, other one I wanted to talk about because 
I love it enough to make me want to rethink the song is Ooh. your version of What Are You Doing New Year's Eve? Which personally, I never kind of never really thought of as a Christmas song. Um, uh-huh. But well, it's not. It's not a Christmas song. Yeah. It's a New Year's song. Right. So the. Uh, why, why include it? Well, for what it's worth, it's one of two New Year's songs on the album. Ah. The other one is um, um, Sorry to See You Go. That's also New Year's themed. Um, why include it? I love it. I love it. Um, I would say it's it's always been one of my favorite holiday time songs to sing. I just... I. I love Ella Fitzgerald's version. It just melts my heart. So I love listening to it and singing it, like probably in equal measure. Not all songs are like that. It's often one or the other, but I just think it's a gorgeous song. It's so heartfelt. It's full of hope. Um, Like hope springs eternal. Um, And it comes in handy as, um, as a new year's song that it, it's not that much of a stretch to kind of smush it together with the Christmas repertoire because, you know, it's part of the holiday season. I think of the holiday season, you know, it kind of starts with Thanksgiving and it ramps up to Christmas and then it ends with New Year's um, unless you're here. And then it right. just goes into Mardi Gras and the holidays just keep going. Right. Um, but again, as as a Jew, it's a holiday song that I can I can I can sing that feels like it's legitimately mine and always has been because I've always celebrated new years. Right. Right. Um, and <laughs> the last few years I've, um, I've been asked to do, um, I've, I've sung at, um, holiday, uh, luncheons at the, the uptown JCC and I'm asked to do, you know, festive holiday music and it's post Christmas and it's at the JCC and most of the people there are Jewish. So what do I sing? New year songs. Right. Right. Perfect. <laughs> now how did so, you, it your version is kind of a bossa nova version am i right yeah yeah and and that one um that again was um in ed wise arrangement and his idea to do it as a bossa and i was a bit skeptical at first because i just love it as you know the classic ballad version but i was open to the idea of trying it differently just for the sake of does the world need another ballad version of what are you doing New Year's? Cause my version is, I think it would be good, but it wouldn't be as good as Ella's. So right. what's the point yeah. when uh. we have Ella? Um, so, so yeah, I was, I was open to exploring a different way to do it and there aren't any other bosses on the album. So again, it was just a way to throw some variety in there and, and I like it. I, it, it's a, uh, it kind of gives it like a dreamy, like Christmas in Hawaii or on the beach kind of vibe, uh, a little bit of a retro vintage kind of a vibe. Um, and we have we have the backup singers on that track, which also kind of lends like a fun kind of vintagey dreamlike quality to it. So. So, yeah, we ended up coming up with um a fun new way to do that song that I, I wouldn't have thought of at the beginning, but it evolved really nicely into something interesting. Right. When the bells all ring and the horns all blow and the couples we know are fondly kissing 
kissing Will I be with you Or will I be among the missing I have to say, this year, I was talking about this song with someone else I know who's a Christmas music obsessive, and mm-hmm. he was saying that in the biography of Frank Lesser, that he that Lesser was upset that this became a New Year's song. That yeah. he when, had when you told me this story, it blew my mind, Alex. Yeah, I love this. So he had. He had uh, that he had written uh, had written it with the idea of it to be performed in the summer, and that this was an right. expression of how pro of how profoundly he was or the character was attached to someone that he was ready to go ahead and try to book six months in advance, right? And uh, which now seems like hopelessly doomed. Uh, that just. <laughs> <laughs> It's like you have to really, 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 really know your date to think this person's going to be ready to tell you, say yes, and go ahead and book you, you know, yeah. middle of summer, book you for New Year's Eve. Maybe it's a little over eager. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> no, over eager or over or or, or 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 way too ambitious. You know, so yeah. But I, I now, I, I now, I want to go know more about that story. I want to know more of what context he wrote it in or what it was originally for, so that to. Because I have to say, it now opens up some of the opens up some of the questions. I mean, it explains some of the lines, like mm-hmm. ask the jackpot question in advance. It's like, well, if we're yeah. talking in the the two or three weeks before Christmas, that's not that in advance, right? Uh, so, so some of the lines I now get. Um, yeah, but and I guess it opens it up that I can I can perform that song in the summer. So exactly, okay. <laughs> <laughs> JCC pool party. Now yes. you can yes. <laughs> bring it back out. So after the record is out, after the record's done, mm-hmm. you have a CD re- uh, a CD release slash Christmas show party can- uh, scheduled. Yeah, and what happens? I got COVID. Yeah, it was weird. So I, I tested positive. It was early December, like Omicron hadn't quite exploded yet. So it just felt like, Oh, weird. Like I got COVID. How random. I thought this was kind of almost over. And in the 10 days of my quarantine, like in that span of time, by the time I got out of quarantine, it's like, Oh, oh, okay. This is a thing now. Now everyone's getting it. I guess I got mine over with. Um, 
but yeah, I, I, I got diagnosed. I got, I got, I got the positive result. I went to urgent care, just hoping like maybe it was a false positive. And they confirmed with a second test that I indeed had it. And I was counting the days and I'm like, oh, that, that, uh, that overlaps the show that I was very excited to do. So it's on hold. It's not canceled. It's on hold. Right. Um, we're going to bring it back for Christmas in July. Right. Oh, that's great. Stay, stay tuned. So, so you, but you didn't get a chance this Christmas season to play these songs. Am I right? Um, sadly, no, like a couple here and there, um, like some other gigs I had leading up to it. I, I would throw in one or two, um, but was kind of going to, I was planning on using the, the release show as kind of the big showcase of all of it, um, including some of the songs that were a bit more complicated and really required the full band. We were going to have the, the singer, the backup singer section there. We had actually had a rehearsal with the singers two days before I got diagnosed. As far as I know, nobody got it from me. Thank God. (laughs) As far as I know. Um, but yeah, that was fun having to text everybody who was at that rehearsal two days prior and be like, Hey guys, you might want to get your hands on a test. Sorry. Um, so yeah, um, I did get to do the New Year songs. I had a couple of gigs post post quarantine. I was able to fit in, um, but yeah, um, but again, the good news is Christmas happens every year, so yeah. I will have future opportunities, hopefully, yeah. in a less COVIDy environment. We hope. So, <laughs> so, how does that affect your relationship to the song and the albums to to have not to have not played it or you know in a lower lot of the songs from it it i mean it feels like you know i'm not quite done with it um and it was definitely frustrating but again i know like christmas will come again whether it's in july or just christmas 2022 and beyond so it's okay yeah um And also ultimately I'm really proud of the album. I'm really, I'm, I'm proud that I, uh, I had this idea to record and release a Christmas album. And in less than a year I did that. Um, which for me is quite the feat because I'm not very good at doing things in a timely fashion. My first album I recorded in the summer of 2018 and didn't release it until winter of 2020. Wow. Um, for no real reason other than life got in the way and, you know, I'm releasing this album myself. So it's not like anybody was, you know, breathing down my neck, like, when is it coming out? So it just kept like slipping down on the to-do list. So that was part of the reason that I, I, I liked the idea of doing a Christmas album because I wanted to challenge myself and see, okay, there's a firm deadline here. Cause right. For it to be relevant, it has to come out before Christmas. Um, so knowing that deadline is looming, can I make this happen in this amount of time? And I did. Yeah. So I'm proud of myself for that. I think it's a really good album. Um, so and and um I I sold a bunch of copies and people told me that they like it and that 
you know, I had people texting me on Christmas day that they were playing it. Oh, that's great. With their families like all over the country. And that like just made me really happy. So even though it didn't all get uh, wrapped up in the way I hoped and planned, which like did anything really turn out the way we planned in the last two years? Uh, uh, no. Right. So it just kind of fits in with everything. But but ultimately, I'm really happy. I'm really satisfied with it. Um, and I'm excited to keep revisiting it, you know, every season. Thanks to Meryl for the time and the talk. You can get a copy of A Very Meryl Christmas at her website, merylzimmerman.com, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes. If you buy direct from the artist on their websites or Bandcamp, the artist gets a bigger piece of the action than they do through other online retailers. If you want to support the artists, that's the way to go. If you haven't already done so, like, follow, subscribe, or do what you have to do to get 12 songs in your podcast feed. We are pretty much anywhere you get your podcast content. And if you're an Apple person, leaving a five-star review helps others find out about what we're doing here. If you're on Amazon, you can tell Alexa to play the 12 Songs of Christmas podcast. She can take it from there. Earlier, we heard background music from a Kresge store from the mid-1960s, and we'll go back there for a second taste. You can find it online if you go to the link in the show notes or if you Google Attention Kmart Shoppers. You might have to add Internet Archive. You never know. Talk to you in two weeks. <laughs>